Well, good morning. Good morning. Well, as Rod said, we are thrilled this morning to dive into a brand new series from the book of James. And the theme, as Rod said, is real faith. So James shows us a lot of very practical ways what faith working itself out in our lives looks like. So we pray over the next several weeks that you will be encouraged to have a working faith, a faith that's not just intellectual, a faith that's not just something that you walked an aisle or prayed a prayer one time, but a faith that has real impact on your daily life. And it begins this morning as we talk about trials from James chapter one, verses one through eight. So will you pray with me as we begin this morning? Lord, we do need you. We are so thankful that you are faithful to us. Even when we are faithless, Lord, you continue to remain the same. You bear us up. You carry us. You strengthen us. You preserve us. And I pray this morning you would give us eyes to see what you're doing in the world and in our lives. Help us to, as counterintuitive as it may seem, to be able to find joy in the midst of our trials. In Christ we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to begin the sermon a little bit different than usual this morning. As I kind of considered and thought about and prayed about how to begin this brand new series, one idea kept coming to mind, namely, show a DirecTV commercial. That, that was just the Lord impressed that on my heart, I think. So here it is without any further ado, and you'll see what it has to do with anything in just a moment. over cable for 17 years running, but some people still like cable, just like some people like pre-shaken sodas, <laughs> having their seat kicked on an airplane, being rammed by a shopping cart, sitting in gum, and walking into a glass door. But for everyone else, there's DirecTV. For number one rated customer satisfaction over cable, switch to DirecTV and get a $200 reward card. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Provided you with the 1-800 number there. That was very kind of me. The, the, the point of that is not to get you to buy DirecTV. But the reason that that ad campaign works is because what happens in it? In each and every one of those scenarios, people respond, they, they, they experience a, a unpleasant situation, right? A very unpleasant situation, and then they react in a positive or maybe even celebratory way to that unpleasantness in their life. That is, their response to suffering is counterintuitive. It's not what you would expect. I bring this up because in a very real sense, this is exactly what the opening paragraph of James is calling us to do, minus the ridiculousness. Look at James chapter 1, verse 2. Look at it very carefully. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. When you read that, you may be tempted to echo the sentiment of famous tennis player and referee berater John McEnroe, who would commonly say something like this when a call would not go his way. You cannot be serious. When I read a passage like that that says, count it all joy, when you fall into trials of various kind, my heart reacts kind of like that. Lord, 
You can't be serious. Are you sure? I mean, did you, did you miscommunicate something here? Because when I encounter trials, that is certainly not the first thing on my heart. In fact, it's not on my heart at all to count it joy. But before we unpack this extremely unusual command, we need to take notice of a couple simple, significant things that this verse points out about the nature of human suffering. I want to just point out two, and then we'll kind of launch into what it means to count it all joy. The first thing is this. This passage points out that suffering is inevitable. Did you notice that James chapter 1 doesn't say, if you meet trials, but it says rather, when you meet trials? I do not think James says this to be a Debbie Downer, but rather to give a realistic perspective of what it means to live life in a fallen world. Listen, let me say this very kindly, but if you expect life to be only a series of rainbow puking uniform, unicorns, then you are in for disappointment. Yes, life can be amazing. Life can be beautiful. Life can be awesome, but it can also be extremely hard. Look, if you are in a difficult season in your life right now, which I'm sure many of you are, it is not necessarily because you did something wrong or God is angry at you. It is simply part and parcel of what it means to live in a broken, fallen world where suffering is an unavoidable reality. Here's how Peter puts it. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. To put it in vernacular, Peter is just saying, listen, don't be shocked when life gets tough. You live in a difficult, fallen, broken world. Don't be shocked by that reality. But not only is suffering in this life inevitable, suffering is also diverse. Believers should expect to suffer in a whole bunch of different ways. That's what the phrase means, trials of various kinds. There is no one-size-fits-all experience of suffering. I have no doubt that in this room this morning, people are facing a wide range of difficulties. Some are struggling to find a career. Others are fighting not to be overrun by their career. Some are tempted by loneliness. Others are overwhelmed by busyness. Some parents worry about their children. Some children are worried about their parents. And the list goes on and on and on and on. The point is simply this. The varieties of suffering in this world are as diverse as the people that experience them. Now, I do not think that James is pointing out these dark realities just to kind of be morose. I think he's carefully embedded in this short verse is not only a reality, a, a talk about the reality of suffering, but also a subtle but paradigm-shifting promise of hope. Think about it for a moment. James is saying, count it all joy when you fall into trials of various kinds. In other words, you need to rejoice when the inevitable and diverse suffering of life comes down the pipe. If the Bible is calling us to rejoice in these trials, then that must mean that no matter what our situation is, 
Somehow, in some way, God is promising that he will provide joy in the midst of that. You understand what I'm saying there? If God is commanding you to rejoice in no matter what type of trials you're undergoing, then that means that God in somehow is guaranteeing that he is going to provide that joy for you in the midst of that difficulty. Or to put it very tritely, though suffering is escapable, is inescapable, joy is always accessible. You can't get away from suffering. You can't. But know this. If you've trusted in the finished work of Christ, as inescapable as suffering in your life is, joy is always available to you because of who God is and because of what he sent his son to do on your behalf. But that really raises the $50 million question, doesn't it? How? How? How can I have joy How is joy available to me when suffering is tough and inevitable and inescapable? Of course, we'd all like to be the indomitable optimist when life is difficult, but it's not as easy as just flipping a switch, right? I mean, we can't just be like, oh, count it all joy. Okay, I have joy. I read the verse, therefore I have joy. So how does the Lord expect us to do it? How do we actually count it all joy when we get the bad Dr. Bill? How do we count it all joy when the boss says you have two weeks? How do we count it all joy when the loved one has just passed away? How do we do it? Fortunately, we don't have to speculate. The Lord in his kindness has not only told us what we're supposed to do, count it all joy, but he's also told us how we're supposed to do it. Look at James 1, verse 2 again, and we're going to read into verse 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Notice these next three little very important words. For you know. Say those with me. For you know. So James is saying that knowing certain things will impact the way you respond to life's difficulties. Count it all joy. Why? Because you know these things to be true. To some degree, we all understand how this principle works, right? Think about the expression, no pain, what? No No gain. This sentiment has caused millions of people every single day to gladly submit themselves to pain, to discomfort, to suffering, as it were. Why? Because they know that the pain will bring about the results that they gain and that they desire. So we voluntarily endure the stitch in our side. We voluntarily, I'm really having trouble with that word, voluntarily endure the muscle soreness. We voluntarily endure all of the pain, the exhaustion. Why? Because we know That if we endure the pain, it will get us the gain that we want. We will feel better or look better or whatever. We understand that if you know something about your pain, your experience of that pain is transformed. What we believe about our pain determines how we respond to our pain. If you think pain is pointless... If you think your suffering has nothing going on for it, if there's no rhyme or reason behind it, you will have a very hard time finding joy in it. 
But if you understand, if you know certain things about your suffering, it will transform the way that you experience that suffering in your life. Which brings me to my simple point this morning. It's this. If we are to rejoice in our trials, we must believe that our suffering is accomplishing something good for us. The only way, the only way that you can have joy in the midst of your trials is if you believe that as a result of those trials, something good is happening. That's the only way you'll be able to obey this command of Scripture. So you might ask, well, Ryan, what good is coming about from my trials? Well, God in his grace, once again, has given us, I think, in this passage of scripture, two of those things. And so here's what I'm going to talk about in the next couple minutes. What trials do or what suffering does in your life. These two things, if you will really know them, if you will trust them, if you will believe them, then your perspective on trials will be utterly transformed. I want to share with you just two brief things what suffering does in your life. The first thing is this. Suffering produces character in you. Look at verse number two again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Sometimes when life gets hard, we instinctively ask this question. I know at least I do. God, why are you doing this to me? But I think James' point here is that God uses suffering in our lives to shape our character in positive ways. Or to put it another way, when you are suffering, God is not fundamentally doing something to you. He is doing something in you. When you are suffering, God is not fundamentally doing something to you. He is doing something in you. Notice the progression in the text. It says that, hey, when you experience these trials, these trials, the testing of our faith produces steadfastness or endurance or impatience. And then when you have patience or steadfastness and endurance, the result is that you become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's just another way the Bible talks about maturity. So God uses trials to produce endurance in you and that that endurance leads to maturity in you. God is doing something in you. He is shaping your character through suffering. At some level, we know this intuitively. An insulated individual is in danger of kind of a naive Pollyanna outlook on life. They're not super mature. A person who hasn't endured any hardship in their life is often marked by an outlook on life that is not truly biblical or robust. And when hard things come, they kind of crumble apart. But we also know and have met people who have deep, deep battle scars in their life. You know some of those people? They have suffered hard and long. And then you begin to talk to them and you realize that the waters run deep. Their character has been shaped. Their character has been changed by the adversity that they suffer. Just think about the testimony of scripture after all. The Abraham who offered Isaac on the altar. 
first endured years of childlessness. The Joseph who forgave his brothers first was wrongfully imprisoned for years. The Moses who boldly stood before Pharaoh first spent years on the backside of the desert. The Daniel who counseled several kings first was kidnapped from his homeland. The Peter who catalyzed the early church first suffered the humiliation of denying Christ. I don't think it's any coincidence that the vast majority of biblical heroes experience significant suffering in their life. Listen very carefully to this statement. Suffering is the anvil on which character is forged. Man, if you are suffering right now, it is not necessarily because God is mad at you. It is not necessarily because God is punishing you. It is not necessarily because you did something wrong or took some misstep in your life. You may be suffering right now because God wants you to grow. And the way that he often causes his children to grow, the principle of scripture, the testimony of these explicit passages is simply that God uses suffering to grow our character in us. It is one of his most useful and familiar tools in his workshed as he carves off the rough edges in our lives. God will often reach for that scalpel of suffering to trim away the parts of us that don't look like Jesus. Long ago, it was discovered that when a steel blade was heated by fire, then rapidly cooled, it became stronger and held its edge better. This process became known as tempering. And soon the phrase, a tempered blade, came to mean a strong weapon of high quality. I think this is a beautiful picture of how God uses trials in our life. God will often turn up the heat of adversity in our lives not to hurt us, but to actually make our metal stronger. To make you a more sharp blade. To give you more endurance. To give you more strength. I think the hymn writer of how firm a foundation captures this idea beautifully. You might have sung this song before. It goes like this. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not harm thee. I only design the dross to consume and thy gold to refine. God is not putting you through trials in order to harm you, but to strengthen you, to purify you, to build your character. Or perhaps 18th century hymn writers aren't your speed. Consider another great songwriter of the faith, Kelly Clarkston. She simply says it this way, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. She's not far off the mark. I think as much as we all dislike suffering, if we are honest, if we are honest with ourselves, we all kind of on a gut level know that God uses suffering in profound ways in our life. Don't we know that? Come on, let's be honest. We don't like it, but we know it, don't we? That suffering in our lives is one of the ways that God uses to profoundly shape us. Think just for a moment. Think really honestly. Think of the hardest moments in your life. 
The ones you don't like to think about very much. Get them in your head right now. Just get one of those really, really painful moments in your life. And let me ask you a couple of questions. Was that situation uncomfortable? Yes or no? Yes. Absolutely. As you look back on your life, was God doing something in you during that time? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Here's, the, here's the kicker. You don't have to answer this one out loud. Would you trade it now? The vast majority of people I've ever talked to, talk to would say, no. Man, God, I hated it. I don't even like to think about it. It's so painful in my heart. But I am not the person I once was because of it. And I don't want to go back. So God, yes, I can. I can actually say, thank you for the trial. I can actually say, God, you are good. And I count that trial joy. No, it wasn't comfortable. No, it wasn't fun. It was distressing. But I don't want to be the person I was back then. And you use that trial to make me someone different. Spurgeon said it this way. I am afraid that all the grace that I have got of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. We can rejoice that even in our pain... Because we know that God is using our suffering to accomplish incalculable good in our lives. <laughs> when I was in um, college, I was in a basketball game. And I drove down the lane. I got up in the air. And I landed really goofy on my ankle. I came down and I immediately knew it was bad. Well, it turned out, I went to the doctor the next day, and it turned out I had broken this little teeny bone in my ankle. I mean, teeny little bone, like, like you could barely see that bone at all. But, but because there was little blood supply to that bone, um, not only did that injury like end my season, it essentially ended my college basketball career. Like, I was done. Um, I was a junior, I had one more year, year of eligibility, and the thing just wouldn't get better. At first, I was sad and ticked off. God, why are you doing this to me? Don't you love me? Don't you care about me? I'm your child, right? Don't you take care of your people? And I love playing basketball, so why would you do this to me? I went in that cycle for quite some time, just kind of low-grade anger at God. But you know what the Lord did? He, he took basketball away, and in so doing, and in breaking my foot, he humbled me. He crushed some idols in my life. He caused me to start finding my identity in the work of Jesus, not so much if I could put a ball through a hoop. He changed me fundamentally. And as I look back, I can say with 100% honesty, even though in that time I hated it with all that was in me, I can say with 100% honesty, I thank God for breaking that bone in my foot. I count it all joy 
that he brought me that trial because of what he was doing in me. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it in the moment. But as I look back, I realize that God was up to something good. Look, I know some of you are suffering terribly right now. Things that, it's hard to even imagine the level of pain that you're experiencing right now. But I want to remind you, joy is possible. I don't know what you're going through exactly. But I want you to know, joy is always possible. Because as one theologian said it very well, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may, may be aware of three of them. Just rest assured. God is using suffering in your life to do something incalculably good. He's not doing it to you. He is doing it in you. And that, that truth, if we know it, if we know it, if we know it down in our heart, then that can enable us even in the most mind-numbing, bone-shaking, life-altering of situations, even in the darkest hours, it can enable us to say, I can have joy in this trial because I know my God is up to something awesome in my life. Number two. What does suffering do? Suffering reveals God to you. Not only does it produce character in you, it reveals God to you. Look at verse number five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith for no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For a person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Often when we find ourselves in the midst of a trial, we realize that we don't have all the answers. Isn't that what God does to us in trials? He strips away the illusion of our self-sufficiency. Suffering has a way of sharpening our sense of neediness and dependence. It is in these moments that we are uniquely positioned to get a clearer picture of who God is. Trials allow you to see God in ways that you couldn't see him if everything was green pastures and happy meadows and jumping sheep. Trials allows you to get a glimpse of God who can protect and sustain and help you. Or to say it this way, God uses trials to remind us that we are limited and frankly, he is not. When your faith fails, when your health fails, when your bank account is empty, when your relationship is broken, when the dream is gone, when the child rebels, when injustice is everywhere, when death claims a victim, and when the tears won't stop, when everything seems lost, we become acutely aware that we need the Lord. That's a gift. I need to be reminded that I need God because I like to be my own God. I don't know about you. I like to call the shots in my life. I like to pretend that I have everything under control. I like to think that I'm in charge of my life. I like to think that I can control this. I need that illusion stripped away from me. And trials 
has a unique way of sharpening our focus to snap us back out of our fantasy land and into reality. God is God. God is in control. And you are not. So what does God reveal about himself in our suffering? Well, look at the verse again. Verse number five. We see that God is wise. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. We see that God is generous, who gives generously. We see that God is indiscriminate. He gives generously to all. We see that God is merciful, without reproach. He doesn't even rebuke us for being so needy. We see that God is faithful, and it will be given to him. And in all this, we see that God is trustworthy. Don't doubt him. Trust him, because he'll make good on his promises. Suffering is like glasses that enable you to see clearly what's been right in front of you your whole life. I go around with an illusion of God, that God is not faithful, that God is not good, that God is not generous. Suffering allows me to see God in more clear focus. It snaps me back to the picture of who God is. God is wise. He knows what I'm doing. God is good. God will give. God will meet me. Suffering has a way of reminding us who God really is. Without adversity in our lives, there are certain aspects of the character of God we simply could not know. Think about that for a moment. Without adversity in our lives, there are simply aspects of God's character that we could not know. Has God ever comforted you? Yes or no? If you never had the need for comfort, would you know God in that way? No. Has God ever provided for you? If you never had the need for provision, would you know God in that way? No. But because of adversity, because of suffering, God brings it to us because he says, I want to show you all that I am. I'm not just this guy up in the sky in a rocking chair that kind of is benevolent. I am your provider and your sustainer and I intend to meet you in your time of need because you have felt all alone and without hope. You know that Psalm 9 the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Because you have felt pain and loss, you know that when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Because you have experienced the sting of shame in your life. You know that you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me and the lifter of my head because you have been way over your head and drowning in the trials of life. You trust that my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. He will not let my foot be moved. He will not let me. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth for forevermore. It is through trials. It is through trials. It is through suffering. It is through adversity that we know God as our advocate, as our comforter, 
as our deliverer, as our forgiver, as our helper, as our keeper, as our provider, as our refuge, as our healer, as our rescuer, as our protector, as our sustainer, as our guide, and our power. Listen very carefully, brothers and sisters. Would you trade that for a nice life? The only way we know God in his beauty is through suffering. If everything is rosy in your life, you're only getting half the story. Let us not begrudge the little suffering because in the suffering, as we are down in the path and fallen in the ditch and hurting, the Lord wants to show up and say, look at the comfort that I can bring to you. Come on, child. Let me pick up your little broken body in my arms and hold you close and whisper in your ear, it's gonna be all right. I want you to know me. I'm not doing this to harm you. I'm doing this so that you would know who I am. I use your trials in your life to reveal my character to you. Friends, suffering in this life is a bitter gift, but it is a gift. It's bitter, it's hard, it's challenging. But let us not be mistaken, it is a gift. Because God intends to show himself to us through our suffering. Maybe some of you have heard of Johnny Erickson Tada. She became a quadriplegic at age 17 as a result of a tragic diving accident. Since that time, Johnny has written 50 books hosted a radio show for 35 years, and ministered to thousands with disabilities. Her constant theme is God's goodness in the midst of suffering. She believes this so much so that this is an actual quote from Miss Erickson. She says it this way, this paralysis is my greatest mercy. Where does that come from? How can a person make a statement like that who has been refined to a world wheelchair and all she can do is move her mouth, essentially? How would a lady at the end of all that be able to say that paralysis is a gift from God? I believe she's able to say such a thing because she deeply believes what James 1 teaches. Namely, God reveals himself to us in our suffering. Here's her words once again. The weaker I am, the harder I must lean on God's grace. The harder I lean on him, the stronger I discover him to be, and the bolder my testimony to his grace. In other words, it is only through the affliction, it is only through the suffering that she sees the strength of God. If you can believe these truths, it will radically transform your perspective on suffering. So much so that I think you will be able to do as James says and count it all joy. But underneath the promise that God is using suffering to produce character in you and God is using suffering to reveal himself to you is a more fundamental idea, a truer truth as it were, a truth that undergirds these other truths. That is this, if you are to believe these things, if you're to believe 
that God is revealing himself to you through your trials, if you are to believe that God is working in you through these trials, you must first and foremost believe that God is for you. If you doubt that God in your cor- is in your corner, joy in the midst of suffering will simply be beyond your reach. Think about it for a moment. If you think your hand of pain is being dealt to you by a cruel, foolish, uncaring, or aloof God, then rejoicing in trials will just be impossible. You just think God's mean and capricious, tricky. Why would you want to trust him or follow him or worship him? He's just in it to hurt me. But thankfully for us, the Lord went to the greatest lengths to demonstrate his unswerving commitment to those who trust in him. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says it this way. 31 says it this way. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, God sent Jesus to the cross. One reason for, what, for that is to indisputably demonstrate that he is 100% for his people. God sent his son to the cross to say to people like you and I, I am for you. What more could I do to say that I'm for you than send my only son to rescue you from the penalty of your sin? I, my children, am for you. What is more, there is absolutely nothing that we can do or that can happen to us or anybody can do to us that can change the fact that God is for us. You go down a couple more verses in Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No, that's right. Shall distress? Shall persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? Job loss? Hospital bills? Bankruptcy? Rebellious children? Divorce? No. No. In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Jesus, listen, listen. Because of Jesus, no matter what you are suffering, if you have trusted in the finished work of the cross, then God is for you. I don't care if you are in the grips of depression, God is for you. I don't care if the bills are double the income, God is for you. I don't care if the doctor just told you this week you got cancer. God is for you. I don't care if your spouse walked out the door. God is for you. If you have trusted in Jesus, there is nothing in this life, in heaven or hell itself, that can sever the people of God from the love of God. As many of you know, Um, We're about to have our hundredth child. It's actually eighth. 
And so my wife, in a few months time from now, will, Lord willing, give birth and experience the pain of childbirth. And the pain of childbirth is real. It's severe. It's not a fun moment in the life of women who give birth, right? And yet I've witnessed this thing several times. And as painful as it is, I mean, one moment after that baby is born and my wife is holding that baby in her arms, that pain is in one sense forgotten because the result of it is so good. It is so good. Listen to me. Listen carefully, brothers and sisters. If you have trusted in Jesus, the cross transforms the trials of life from the death throes to the pains of childbirth. It's just a moment. Paul actually goes so far to say they're light and momentary. Because of what? Because they're working something in you. Yes! God never called suffering good. Not one time in the Bible does he say suffering is good. But what he does say is I can accomplish good through suffering. If you are a child of God, if you've turned from your sins and rested in the work of Christ, then all of this suffering in you is doing you incalculable good. It doesn't mean we're glib. It doesn't mean we have the joy of the amusement park. It's more like the joy of the, of the prison camp, right? We say things are hard, but hope is coming. There's rescue and no matter how dark the valley, he's with me, he goes with me and he is working for my good. So friends, let's not lose heart in the midst of suffering. Let's know some things deep in our heart. Let's know that God is using this to produce something in me and God is using this to show me himself. So you might say, well, how do I do that? How do I do that tomorrow? Let me just give you two brief suggestions as we walk out of here, ways that you can begin to work this in your heart. One, let me encourage you to worship the Lord. Remember I talked about like sometimes we don't see God as who he is. Let me encourage you, if you're suffering in particular, begin your day by worshiping God. Get up, put some good music in your headphones. Begin to sing and give praise to God. You know, I'm listening as we're singing this morning and people are shouting and lifting their hands and clapping and, and I see faces and people are expressing joy in God. Why don't we just make that a habit in of our life of starting our day, not just we, we come together on Sunday, by turning our attention to who our God is and worshiping Him. You don't even have to be a good singer. I mean, I sound great in the shower. I'm amazing. Worship the Lord. Second thing is this, is meditate on the truths of Scripture. Grab hold of one of these passages that I quoted this morning. Psalm 121, Romans chapter 8. And just begin to meditate and saturate on it. I would even encourage you, memorize it. Let that kind of be the soundtrack of your life and see if that doesn't change your perspective in the midst of the suffering that you are enduring in your life. Brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you experience trials of various kinds because you know because you know your God is up to something good in your life trust that fact let's pray together Lord we need you we humbly submit ourselves to you we are so prone to forget who you are 
We are so prone to let suffering overwhelm us, but I pray that you would remind us of what you're doing. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to be ready right now. If there's any of you that would just like to pray about the trials of your life, we have some people that are standing by. They'd love to pray with you. Lord, help us right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.